Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cluster B personality disorders are characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, and unpredictable thoughts and behavior. From Ars Longa Media, this is Cluster B, scientifically informed, expert insights into the four Cluster B personality types, antisocial, borderline, narcissistic, and histrionic personality disorder. Here's today's host, Dr. Todd Grande. This is Dr. Grande. Today's question is, are there any advantages to having a mental disorder? So sometimes we see this phrased as, are mental disorders associated with any superpowers? That's kind of the term we see out there a lot of times for this. So I know in mental health videos, of course, often we talk about the negatives. Sometimes we just call these symptoms. The symptoms are something that people generally want to have go away. That's why they seek counseling. But sometimes it's good to look at some of the positive aspects. So I want to answer this question mostly by talking about a superpower or an ability that really applies to all mental disorders. But I'll also briefly take a look at some specific mental disorders and what you could see in terms of advantages, possible advantages. The difficulty with the term mental disorder, of course, is it's nonspecific. If somebody says they have a mental disorder, That means they have a diagnosis that's listed in the DSM, but I don't really know much more than that. It's not a term that gives us any specificity. So looking at some specific mental disorder superpowers. So we see in the research literature various examples of mental disorders and what possible advantages could be linked to them. If we look at a disorder like major depressive disorder, for example, it's connected with being more realistic, being able to look at a situation and have a higher probability of determining what the outcome will be. So not having too much positivity. And we also see with disorders that have anxiety, that people with anxiety tend to be more alert. They tend to be more aware of their surroundings and what people are doing around them. If we look at a disorder like histrionic personality disorder, we see that these individuals are oftentimes more creative. So they're high in openness to experience, and they tend to do well in jobs where it pays to have an imagination. We see with borderline personality disorder that people tend to experience emotions more intensely when they have that disorder. Again, tied to this trait, openness to experience. And with obsessive compulsive personality disorder, we see that individuals with this disorder tend to be very productive in work settings. So looking at a few specific mental disorders, we do see certain advantages associated with a number of them. But what really connects all the mental disorders together? What advantages can we identify 
that would apply to just about any mental disorder. And I would say that it's the ability to empathize and understand with other people who have mental disorders. But actually, this is fairly complex. So I'm going to explain this more through a story, and then I'm going to come back later and kind of tie it together. Now, this story is actually about me, which is not one of my favorite topics for YouTube. But I think looking at the balance and looking at how helpful it might be to illustrate this point, I decided to go ahead and use the story. Again, just not something I like doing, but it just makes sense here. So to move this forward to my narrative here and to tie this all together, we have to look at another related question. And this kind of takes it a step further. So not just the advantages of having a mental disorder, but how do mental health clinicians empathize? Because what I'm really saying here is if the key advantage of having a mental disorder is an increased ability to empathize and understand other people who have mental disorders, then how do mental health clinicians do it? Well, there are a number of ways. Not every clinician, of course, has a mental disorder. So they have to find other ways to connect with clients. If a clinician has a mental disorder or had one in the past, that may make it a little easier to empathize, to understand. But as I mentioned, not every clinician would have that. So what can they do? Well, I think that one of the keys is how we process adversity. And I think this is actually a key for understanding a lot of different people, not just individuals with mental disorders, but I'm focusing on that population here. Now, a lot of people have adversity. You could argue that just about everybody has adversity in their life, but not everyone does the processing. So it's really what I'm talking about here in terms of this ability to empathize in part really comes from applying the lessons of dealing with an adversity in an effort to understand other people. And now to move this one step forward toward my narrative, I've been asked, how have I done this? Other than the training and the experience and all that, what adversity have I learned from that helps me understand people when I treat them, how to understand people with mental disorders? Well, this kind of brings me to a bit of a theory. I have a theory about mental disorders and about really life in general and how people learn and develop. And it really focuses around this idea that turning points are key for people, like how they react during something that would become a turning point or what I call a milestone is really important. We kind of conceptualize mental disorders sometimes in this way. Sometimes at an important event, like a relationship that's gone bad or some sort of abuse that's occurred or some type of accident, somebody will get stuck and sometimes they're able to learn and grow and develop through it instead. And sometimes actually a little both happens. These changes can be fast. An event can occur and something can change overnight. And sometimes they occur slowly. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. 
Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. I have a few of these turning points in my life, and I'm really going to be talking about just one here, and then again, connecting it back to the advantages of mental disorders, and really giving some detail about what I specifically mean about the nature of this advantage. So a long time ago, in 1989, when I was 17 years old, I was involved in a motor vehicle accident, and it was a fairly severe accident. I was almost killed in the accident. I was flown to a nearby hospital in a helicopter. And I was there for several weeks, and I had around 13 or 14 weeks of recovery after that. I don't really remember much about the accident. I don't remember the helicopter flight at all. And I don't remember the first week too well either. You really just get flashes of it. And if anybody has been in a similar type of severe accident or trauma, I think this will make a lot of sense to them, right? You get these flashes, these moments of memory where you kind of see things, and then you're unconscious again, right? Maybe you were actually awake more than you thought, but you only remember these flashes. But either way, I was severely injured, and a lot of the injuries, of course, were permanent. So about a week into the hospitalization after this surgery, after being admitted, of course, and having the surgery, I was starting to kind of come out of it a little more, and people were coming in. I was remembering more what was happening. And when you're in the hospital, you know, 24 hours a day on a unit like this where you're severely injured, a lot of people come in and out of your room. A lot of people that you don't even know really what they're there for, right? It's like some people are carrying clipboards and some people have equipment, some people you might recognize. But either way, when somebody would come into my room, I was just happy if they weren't carrying a needle, right? Because there's a lot of needles, uh, at least with what I had going on, there seemed to be a lot of reasons to be carrying needles and uh, injecting me with this or that or the other. But either way, um, there was this surgeon who would come in once in a while. He wasn't my surgeon. He was just a surgeon, I think, that must have kind of patrolled through this unit where there were a lot of orthopedic-type injuries and just check on people. And he always came early in the morning, but not every day. And I remember this one time he came to check on me, and it was one of the first times he had come in to talk to me. And he gave you some advice. He said, looking at my chart, he says, wow, you're permanently disabled. You're going to have difficulty walking, although we think you'll be able to walk again, you always have a limp and you always have pain. And he was right. I mean, looking at this 30 years later, I uh, have had trouble walking and I do have pain pretty much all the time. So he kind of started off melancholy, right? This wasn't really an uplifting talk, you know, when he first came in. But uh, then he started to have kind of a change of tone. And he said, look, he said, you're going to have to work harder and learn more and make fewer mistakes to be competitive with even average performers. You're at a permanent disadvantage and you just need to know that you're going to have to put the effort in and work to be the best in hopes just to be average. And I looked at him and there was more of the conversation than this, but I'm kind of summarizing this. I looked at him. I said, is it because of the limitations because all these injuries, you know, the difficulty with walking and all this, because I was thinking to myself, this isn't going to hold me back. I'm going to recover from this. And even though I won't be able to run or anything like that, 
I'll still be able to walk and, you know, I'll get through. I'll be able to get an education and, and work many jobs and all this. And he said, no. That was his answer. That wasn't the reason, you know. So I said, is it the limitations? And he said, no. And I said, well, then why? You know, why am I going to have to work harder and, and be better and all this? And he says, well, think about it. So I did. And later on, before he came in again, a uh, nurse came by and she was talking to me, kind of light conversation, asking me what I wanted to be, kind of like career wise. It wasn't an official career assessment or anything. It was just like conversation as she was doing whatever she was supposed to do. And at the time I said, you know, I don't know. I, I'm interested in business. I'm interested in uh, psychology and and human behavior and things like this. But in the past, I wanted to be a pilot. When I was young, I wanted to be a commercial airline pilot. And it kind of changed the whole tone of the conversation. She had this look on her face like she was really offended by what I said. And I thought, oh, I guess she doesn't like pilots. I, I didn't know what was going on. And she said, well, I hope that you're never flying a plane that I'm in. It's a really mean-spirited comment, you know, essentially saying that because of all my injuries, I wouldn't be suitable to pilot an aircraft. Now, I can see the point there. I mean, it wouldn't be a good idea if I became a pilot, but it was just the way it was presented. It was really more mean-spirited than it needed to be. I don't think it needed to be at all mean-spirited, but it really was kind of negative, and she had this really disdainful look on her face. I'll really never forget that look. So it made me think about things a little bit. And I was really waiting for the surgeon to come back because now I had a good answer for him, you know. So he came back a couple of days after this and he goes, uh, you know, reviewing the chart or whatever he does. And then he says, have you figured this out? Have you figured out why you need to work harder? And remember, I was 17 and I didn't always necessarily think things through before saying them, although I've always been somewhat careful. So I kind of phrased it this way. I said, because some people hate me for no reason. And he looked at me and he said, exactly, exactly. And followed that up by saying, you'll never defeat this with hate. I don't know exactly what I meant by this, the stigma of being disabled, of being injured, uh, the people that are out to get me, I'll never defeat them, whatever. But just said, you'll never defeat this with hate. So I kind of came out of that experience. Uh, I was discharged from the hospital about a week later. And then, of course, that long recovery of physical therapy it was brutal. And I took away from the experience that I needed to work hard. And I did. And I went to school and I studied hard and all this. Not necessarily in the beginning, but eventually I came around. Again, some turning points take a while, right? And I really made a commitment to being logical, fair, reasonable, a flexible thinker, and definitely not getting involved in any type of hatred or anger. Just trying to keep my emotions balanced and take time to react. And again, just being reasonable. It really became a part of my personality. So now moving away from that story, I know that wasn't really an uplifting story or anything, but I think it's going to connect with what I need to say here. And moving back over to the mental disorder superpowers. I mentioned earlier that I thought that the superpower that all people with mental disorders have access to is this ability to empathize and understand other people who have mental disorders. But kind of in light of my experience and other things I've learned, I would say it's not necessarily about the symptoms, right? It's not because somebody who's depressed knows what somebody else feels like 
when they're depressed, that they understand feeling hopeless or worthless. It's not because somebody who has consumed substances in excess understands cravings, understands why people commit crimes to gain money to buy more alcohol or buy drugs. I believe there is some degree of connectedness that occurs when you share a symptom with somebody else, certainly. That's a part of it. But I think the real superpower, the real advantage, is understanding what people with mental disorders go through in terms of the stigma. That, to me, is really the superpower that links all the mental disorders together, regardless of which specific mental disorder somebody has. It's the look, the comments, the discrimination, and the lack of understanding from others. An individual with a mental disorder, if they've developed this skill, again, you have to process this, they can really use this skill to help other people. And it is a superpower. The actual limitations caused by the disorder, of course, many mental disorders come with a lot of pain and the symptoms are challenging. I'm not minimizing how bad the symptoms can be. But whatever caused the mental disorder for most people is likely far in the past, right? Genetics, abuse that occurred when they were young. In some sense, what caused the disorder is kind of set in stone. That doesn't mean that recovery isn't possible. Of course, recovery can still occur, and that is the goal. But the causative elements are usually in the past. But the stigma has more of a current feel to it. Yes, there's a history of stigma as well. But somebody is acting on the stigma. Somebody's behaving badly because they make a choice to do it in the moment. When people mistreat others who have mental disorders, it's a choice. And it senselessly adds to the suffering. It's just unnecessary. Not based on logic, not based on science, not based on reason. So I think that the real superpower has a duality to it, right? It's understanding the nature of the stigma. It's understanding the power and the effect of the stigma, but at the same time, being perplexed by it, like I am. I'm perplexed by it. I understand some of the reasons the stigma exists, yes. But I look at the stigma and I think it's just so unreasonable and illogical. And that's the duality. That's what I'm talking about. Understanding the stigma, but also being confused by it at the same time. Somebody with a mental disorder gets this. This is their superpower. This is what they understand in this area better than anyone else. So now taking this a step further, it's really using the adversity that you've been through to work toward a positive outcome that can become the next superpower. So the empathy, the understanding, being confused by the nature of the stigma, really being perplexed by it, but then using the processing of adversity, using all the challenges that you faced to see a positive outcome, to see a positive result, and potentially to help others to see that same result. So yes, do certain mental disorders come with certain superpowers? They do. But all mental disorders have an association with these other superpowers, the understanding of the stigma and working through adversity to have a positive result. For more content like this, check out Healthy Toxic, another podcast from Ars Longa Media. 
all about what makes or breaks relationships, including issues related to narcissism, narcissistic abuse, and how personality disorders affect relationships. Ars Longa, Vita Brevitz. Learn more at ArsLonga.media. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.